0: Three, two, one, we are back, and this is our favorite podcast of the week. Well, usually, our favorite. Yeah. It's the um, Sunday debrief at the beach, and we are in our podcasting studio, but we do live at the beach in Puerto Rico, so it all works out. And we have a lot to share with you guys. We're excited about today's show. Julie and I avoid having agendas on the Sunday show. We don't come, we don't prepare, we just sort of, you know, talk about whatever's of top of mind, and normally it always is uh, something that's going to be of value to you guys. So we hope you enjoy our today's show. And today's show is sponsored by, what's it sponsored by today?
1: I don't know. You didn't tell me.
0: The Ultimate Agent (laughs) Survival Guide.
1: Oh, okay. That's right. That makes sense. So
0: it's sponsored by something you guys can get for free, and it's called our Ultimate Agent Survival Guide. The Ultimate Agent Survival Guide is our three-part guide that we wrote um, about 90 days ago. And the first part is called Personal, the second part is called Protect, and then Profit. It's essentially your roadmap forward for you guys to survive and thrive in the new market that's coming. Um, And in this guide, pretty much everything that we've been predicting would happen is happening. It's, you know, we're not road scholars. Well, maybe. Maybe are we, we're, are we, we weren't rare scholars. No, that's no, That'd have been nice, though. Yeah, that yeah. would be good. We yeah. wouldn't have had
1: to pay student loan debt
0: off. Exactly. We wouldn't have had student loan debt. Well, we should have studied harder in school, which is something else we were talking about, yep. but we'll talk about that in a second. So, in any event, yes, get the Ultimate Agent Survival Guide. It's going to walk you through all the government lifeline programs that have been available uh, to every small business owner. But as uh, it pertains to you guys, we're going to walk you through the specifics in the guide, how to go about getting your PPP loan and all the other forbearances and even unemployment, all the rest of it. So it's available. You just need to go and get it. The information is already there. We're updating this information, though fortunately it's not updated that much anymore. But the information is waiting for you to download. And all you have to do is text the word SURVIVAL to 31996, SURVIVAL to 31996. You know, today, Sunday, I probably received another six emails or just texts or whatever from people thanking us for telling them about the PPP loan and how to go about getting it. And I think you have an email right in front of you you want to read. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is from a great agent named Mary Foreman, who is in Maryland. So referrals can be shouted out to her, should you have any. Uh, She writes, had I not become a member of your coaching program, I would not have moved on these funds. She's talking about the PPP, the EIDL, etc. So these are the things that... Regular listeners, you know we've been talking about for a couple of months now. So had I not become a member of your coaching program, I would not have moved on these funds. Actually, I was in such a real estate bubble, I may never have even known about COVID. Just comparing notes on when KW told the agents below and below their mastermind level, it was mid-April, as well as Exit, Coldwell Banker, and Remax just went on a big team-building spree. Thanks to Tim and Julie, I'm doing absorption rates, BPOs, CMAs for sellers. They know I know their neighborhood. Thank you again and to all of your coaches from Marianne. Well, thank you for that, Marianne. We appreciate you appreciating us. It's always nice to get those good kudos. And, you know, it is amazing, Tim, the messages that everyone else is not delivering. And, you know, that's a little bit disheartening. It makes our job a little bit harder, which we can handle. But it is a bit surprising that... Um, You know, the general consensus was not save yourself first so you can be of service to others second.
0: Well, so this goes back and you many of you have been listening to our podcast for years and this is the number one daily listened to podcast for agents probably in the world, but we can't really test outside the United States. And by the way, we did just win a big award from a non real estate publication called The Motley Fool, if you guys have ever heard of Motley Fool is started a long time ago by two brothers, and it's supposed to be an investing site where you can go and learn about investing, not in real estate, but in uh, securities and whatnot. It's a great resource site, but they, out of the blue, gave us an award for uh, basically best podcast right next to the uh, National Association of Realtors podcast, and we weren't expecting. We didn't know about it, and we were really honored by it, so that's because of all of you guys. This podcast continues to be the number one listened to daily podcast for agents. So as we've been saying for years, most of the messaging coming from most of the people that purport to be leaders in the real estate industry are always self-serving. They are always going to be circling the wagons around protecting themselves. I think you know intuitively you guys already knew this. And so when a time of crisis happens, their mind doesn't go to how can we protect the agents, their mind goes to how can we protect ourselves. And so what they do is they just basically double down on the dumb ideas. They double down on the ideas that are generally not the best ones for you guys as individual practitioners, as real estate agents. And I'm talking about all the things that have been normalized over the past few years. I mean, guys, you have to be really really clear about this. The purpose of you being in the business is, yes, all the altruistic reasons, but really the main reason you got in business is to earn money and take care of yourself and your family. And you have to have a profit in order to basically take care of yourself and your family. That is the reason you got into the business. If you wanted to run a nonprofit or if you wanted it to be some sort of kumbaya experience, which has been normalized over the last 15 years, like, oh, you have to start a team so you can nurture and mentor agents and you can teach them and you can be their leader. You can, Guys, if you believe that, you're going to be broke forever. And we've been saying that forever. And all those of you who avoided learning the real work of real estate or maybe didn't know about it in the first place because you've been listening to all these fake leaders for all these you know years, and sorry if I'm on a rant, but Julie got me started when she read that email. Well, the reality of it is, is now that you know the truth, because you listen to Julie and I, it's up to you to decide what to do with the truth. And if you decide to do nothing with the truth, then you look down in six months, 12 months from now, you're looking down the barrel of a reality that you would have, you know, that you're not really that loving, it's going to be because you decide not to do the real work now. And... So many of the leaders and so many of the people that I am just I pay attention to on the edges, they're talking about more social networking. They're talking about building your team. They're talking about doing your branding. They're talking about more ways of buying buyer leads. They're talking about the same dumb BS they've been talking about for the last 15 years. And nobody slows down to say, hey, let's go back and let's really think about this. Why did you get in business? You get, in, get in, got in business to make a profit. Right? How many of you are making a profit? How many of you don't even know whether you're making a profit? Brokers, you guys especially. I've been talking to brokers non-stop the last month, basically, because so many brokers, I think the most honest brokers are the ones that are telling their agents to listen to our show, and they're coming out of the woodwork and they're saying, listen, Tim and Julie, I don't want to be a broker in what the market is to come. I don't want to do this anymore. It isn't what I thought it would be. You know, Being a broker is a really financially very unrewarding line of work. It's terrible for the most part. It's so much work. In in many cases, it's like running an adult daycare where you get paid nothing. So they want to have conversations with us primarily about joining eXp Realty. And if you guys want to learn more about eXp, the quick and easy button is just to text the word eXp to 31996. Or if you want to have a real solid one-on-one call with me about it, just text me directly at 512-758-0206. But here we are in this time of change, and Julie and I are going to think, I think we're going to be primarily talking about all the other interesting, um, Julie, did you get that article I sent you that was about um, all the predicted things? I sent it to you this morning, all the predicted things that are happening that some of the biggest economists in the world and um, bankers Let me and business leaders. I
1: had another one teed up, so I'll find No, that one
0: is really, really good. They're talking about oh, basically different. all the way that the government and you know all the rest of it is going to start. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, temperature checking and force, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. following and chasing. Uh, and, your
1: every move will be watched.
0: Yeah. Get ready to read the snippets okay, from that. You don't have that. to read the whole thing, but it's mm-hmm. really fascinating. I got it ready. So, so guys, look, the reality of it is, is we are going to be entering into a new reality. We're going to be entering into a new normal, but it's not going to be coming anytime soon. Um, and, you know, I know I'm working on three different uh, competing thoughts here right now. I realize that. But listeners, here's really what the bottom line is. You have to align yourself with people they're aligned with your values or aligned with your goals otherwise you're going to align yourself with people that don't necessarily have your goals and your values as their primary best interest and that's true with every aspect of your life so if you're finding yourself uh essentially being coerced into believing that somehow there's going to be a re- the market's going to come back and there's going to be a v-shaped recovery there is no logical way for anyone to even remotely rationalize that that's going to be true now there will be a bounce back in the housing market and i do believe in certain markets there is going to be a V-shaped recovery, or at least, let's say, a U-shaped recovery. You know, I had a great call with a gal in Hawaii the other day, and her little island is seeing a huge increase in um, people being interested in moving there because what they're looking for essentially are, there is, are bug outs. They're looking for places to live during the next quarantine or during the next pandemic um, breakout. So what's happened is people are moving past, you know, they're, they're in the acceptance phase. Remember two months ago, we told you guys this going through this pandemic was similar to going through the stages of grief. Well, a lot of people are entering into the acceptance stage. And now they're starting to say, well, you know what, when this happens again, not if, how do we want our lives to be different? And we're starting to see macro trends in real estate, many of these we talked to you guys about months ago, that are really starting to solidify, moving away from cities, moving to, you know, Rob Johnson and Greenwich, Connecticut, he and I were talking how people are moving out of New York City, and they're moving to Greenwich, Connecticut, willing to pay any amount of money to Rent. Well, there's a great client we have down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Those same Manhattanites are also looking to move down to Charleston. I'm sure there's going to be a surge of people moving to places like where Julie and I live in Puerto Rico because people are just willing to accept or not willing to accept anymore some of the sacrifices they didn't realize that they were making in the old world, basically, in the the pre pandemic world. And, you know, Julie and I are having a lot of conversations. About homeschooling Zoe as a thing, you know, and I know there's a lot of other parents that are thinking the same thing. How much of your work, how much of your life, were you giving away? How much of your money were you giving away because it was strapped to an old set of, you know, an old paradigm? How much of your world going forward is going to be radically different than the way it was before? I'm talking about how you work, how you interact with other people, what you expect from your day, what you expect from people around you. Um, And I mean this in a very sort of encouraging way. So I've been hearing lots and lots of stories and examples of people who are, (laughs) this is crazy to say, but are feeling more happy, more joy, more connectedness, more, you know, they're sort of reconciling with the past, the pre-pandemic world. And now they're starting to look forward to ask themselves, you know what? I do like spending more time with my family. I do like spending more time you know, not on the roads, not driving everywhere. I do like spending more time doing the things that maybe I didn't even know were important to me. I mean, time goes by so fast. I'm 50. I can't hardly believe I'm 50, you know, but I'm 50 and I look and I I look to see some of the things that I've done in my past 50 years. And I ask myself, like, if I had to choose to do those things again as hobbies, let's say, for example, or, you know, I wouldn't have done them. Some of, some of them were just so, you know, you're supposed to at this age do this and at this age you're supposed to do that. Well, how much of our lives are being controlled by, again, being stuck in this old sort of paradigm of believing that one this is supposed to happen after this, after this. And then all of a sudden this pandemic comes in, blows everything up, and then you start saying, well, you know, what was I truly getting out of that belief structure before? Was that what was best for me? Or was that because I was supposed? To, I was trying to fit into some a larger society on a whole, or trying to, or thinking, I, feeling I was pressured to be part of some maybe value structure, or belief structure that doesn't really have the value and belief structure support around it that maybe I thought it did. I know this sounds disjuncted, but I, and in a lot of ways, it is because just like you guys, Julie and I are going through this transformative process. We are starting to realize. What was what's really important to us? We're starting to really question some of the things that make us say, "Well, why is it that we believe that?" I mean, Julie's biggest struggle with the homeschooling thing is Julie comes from a very rigid academic structure. Her parents were both teachers and PhDs and MBAs and all that. And for her to actually think about homeschooling is a real shift in mindset. And she's not as far down the road as that on that as I am. But do you want to comment on Mm -hmm. that?
1: That's true. Uh, Well, we were talking this morning about everything is basically a balance, right? You've got pluses and minuses on each side of it. And I think that we're coming to realize that a lot, having had spent a lot more time at home, not, not just you and me, but the collective, all of us, you know, so what she doesn't get might be more on the social side, but she does get more attention from us. She's, I would say... Overall she's become a nicer person because she's not Definitely. getting woken up at the crack of dawn being tired and well, sick I'm stressed. Well,
0: stressed at school too. And
1: stressed, you know, um, but what's the cost of that? You know, we'll have to see. I think that we're also seeing this with, you know, people getting back to work and the article that you mentioned with your every move will be watched, the post-COVID offices for example, post-COVID transit, what's happening with planes. You know, this is a huge transformation and I think it's touching pretty much every sector. So um, yeah I mean homeschooling is a big thing to think about it's not an option for everyone especially when Did you, you got find that article? Ones. I've got it right here. Yeah
0: read some of the specific examples cuz I thought yeah. they were really fascinating. <laughs>
1: okay so your every move will be watched. Post-COVID offices to resemble China's social credit system. And I don't know if you remember that graphic that's in that article, Tim. You and I actually watched that show, Black Mirror.
0: Yeah, of course. And you remember how yeah.
1: they were rating. And in this case, it was like their emotional maturity and their social value all wrapped up into like one kind score. Of Yelp score type yeah. of rating. And it was a very interesting show, actually. But they're talking about that. Uh, potentially it could be like that. Um, and we, we talked about this article too. They recently detailed America's white collar workforce returning to the offices, business complexes, skyscrapers experience in the post COVID quote reopened workspace will resemble something more like an airport security check zone complete with invasive protocols like frequent temperature checks and social distancing and health surveillance, as well as plexiglass enclosed cubicles and HR style enforcement monitors. So uh, they're talking about what sounds like potential hassle, but, you know, it's supposed to be for our own good. Um, they have an example in Midtown Manhattan, thermal cameras will measure your body temperature as you file into your office tower at Rockefeller Center. Um, the building's owner is actually developing some, an app that's like what we saw in Black Mirror, um, developing a mobile app for tenants to actually monitor and score each other. Uh, how closely the workers are complying well, let's with Well, but stop there. Distancing.
0: Stop there. So th- this is something I couldn't believe. So they're actually developing and I read that Google had uh, is partnering with Apple oh, sure. to do a what was it a contact tracing app. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're going to actually guys listen, this is real. This is not Tim and Julie, you know, reading too many articles though. I think
1: some of this has been implemented in in China and
0: yeah Yeah. well in uh, totalitarian regimes like china i I mean they definitely can do that but like for example you know your your cell phone tracks you everywhere right i mean you guys should know that (laughs) you can't do anything without your cell phone being able to trace exactly where you are so to believe that we're not being monitored is insanity Um, we can go down that rabbit hole but here's the real bottom line is they're making an app that's going to work in conjunction with, now this is going to be voluntary, at least hypothetically it's going to be voluntary. In other words, it's mm-hmm. probably going to come on the new iPhone 12 and you're going to have to turn it off in settings through about 14 different screens.
1: It's a social distancing app that will be ready at the end of May.
0: No, this is different. The oh, contact tracing big. one is different. Okay. Yeah, so the contact tracing one is what they're going to do is if they identify somebody who has a, a virus and maybe it's a coronavirus or maybe it's some sort of future virus they're then going to use the data that was gathered from that person's cell phone to know who else they came in contact with and then those two those people as well will be flagged so what you're going to have is the ultimate big brother regime which is already being rolled out which and julie just told you about the other ones where essentially everywhere well i would assume starting with the you know public buildings and whatnot you're going to be, your temperature is going to be taken. You're going to be walking through, yep. you know, constant monitoring and constant tracking and tracing. But, but here's the insanity of all this. I mean, if that isn't insane enough, here, but here's the real insanity of all of it. How many Americans right now, because they're so nerfed up, and this is—we talked about this a lot yesterday. Mm-hmm. How many of them are just going to accept that as being normal? How many of you are just going to say, well, "Well, it's to prevent the virus."
1: You can prove that we'll all accept it at least on some level because when we go to different, you know, buildings, whether they're government buildings or not, maybe they're just downtown. Don't you open your purse and they inspect that? Don't you walk through a metal detector? You take your don't, shoes off. At the don't airport? we get,
0: you know, you know, molested when we go through airports? Yeah. I mean, base. Oh, I'm sorry. That's no. called a pat down. Yeah. And, and then they take little pictures of you, you know? The scan. What, what the hell, guys? So how, look how fast it, we've it's all...
1: getting a little, it's
0: yeah, a little extreme. It, but, but here's the craziness. Now it's becoming a political thing, right? So the lefties, supposedly, the liberals and the Democrats are all... And I don't believe any of this is true, by the way, guys. I just think like they, people like to politicize things. They want to try to, you know, essentially for one power to have power over the other, they have to create a unified enemy. So for the Democrats basically to... Uh, gather power. You know they have to basically make the people that don't believe in quarantine the enemy. It's just saving one life, after all, is their battle cry. And then on the flip side, the conservatives are saying, "Stop taking my, you know, rights away. Why are you, you know?" W- Where's the real justification between or behind the government being able to just unilaterally shut down my God given rights, my rights were not given by the government, right? So those both arguments, both sides have validity to them, but it's becoming a politicized nuclear bomb and it's not going to end well. But you know, Julie, if you don't mind meandering, do you have any other articles on that topic?
1: Oh, let me take a look
0: here. I don't think I sent you anymore. Um, I don't think we found any more. No,
1: but I well I did I didn't send it to you, but I did read something this morning about the whole temperature taking thing is at least maybe 30 or 40% health uh, theatrics, like, you know, what do you call it? Um, when you go the, to the shoe airport. shoe thing at the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gives you a sense that, you know, somebody's got your back and that you, you pass muster, but that the temperature thing is not actually a, a really great indicator. It's just one of their tools that maybe you've got something wrong with you, right? right. So two things. One is that you know you may be a carrier you may be pre symptomatic and not have a fever because many cases have shown that um, and secondly you might have a fever but not have a coronavirus you could have something else so it's it's you know it's kind of
0: just a half so, so let me ask you a question we haven't talked yeah. about this before and don't worry about seasoning your answer just say what you really think okay okay so we know the coronavirus is supposedly thread to, is, spreads 3 times as fast is 3 times as deadly as whatever the usual annual flu is, right? Right. Okay, so should they have done what, you know, what was it, Sweden did? Or is it Sweden? Or, right. It Oh Sweden, I yeah. Where they basically just essentially said, isolate if you're within the the highest risk age group, which mm-hmm. is basically eight year above. So you you folks just stay at home and everyone's going to essentially bring you stuff and just stay put. You're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then just let everyone else go out and get infected by it. Because what they know now and and is that the we're all going to eventually get coronavirus, inevitably. More than likely. Yeah, or you've already or had I've it. Or have already had it. Right. Yeah. And so how do you know if you've had it? You have to take a test. But the thing yeah. is, is that you're asymptomatic, which means, Julie.
1: Which means you're not, you know, you might feel tired. You might not feel anything. Asymptomatic means you don't actually have any symptoms. You're not coughing and sneezing on people. You don't have a fever. You know, if somebody asks you how you feel, you probably would say, fine.
0: Yeah, so that's the fascinating part guys. So many the bottom line being is that it yes it is does spread 3 times as fast and yes it is 3 times as deadly. There's no doubt about it. But then you look at the people that are adversely affected. They're people that have underlying um, other ailments.
1: Thirty percent of the deaths have come from retirement facilities. Well, that's age. Well, in the, which
0: probably they have other health problems. Right, exactly. But more like, th- there's a statistic that comes out, but they don't give you the whole story. They'll say like, men are more likely to die of coronavirus. Well, okay, let's look at that. What type of men? Oh, I know what. Men who smoke. You guys see Manu the point? Who
1: are obese. Who so, are you know, over a certain age and do those things.
0: Right. But they're not telling you all that. They're just giving you this you know, half-wit bullshit information to try to spread a particular agenda. And ultimately, and this is where I'm going to get ahead of my skis, and I might regret saying this, but what is the ultimate motivation of wanting to have a um, civilization or have a culture or our country? What is the ultimate motivation between, behind wanting to keep us in fear? And Julie, I'm going to ask you that question.
1: Well, Control.
0: Control. Yeah. That's it. So, why do they control by who for what purpose?
1: Well, usually the government for getting you to vote for them.
0: Or control and dependency to keep them in power, right? Yeah. Right. Sure. So, control, but ultimately, can there ever be a true government takeover of, of uh, our rights in this country? Could there ever be?
1: Here, I don't think so.
0: Well, not here in Puerto Rico, no, but here I mean in as in the, the United US? States. No, I don't why think Why not? So.
1: I don't think people put up with it. And I think that that's exactly what they're, you know, because we're allowed to do bare arms would be one reason.
0: That's pretty much the big um, reason. And then we have a yeah. constitution that makes it illegal for them to do what they're doing right now. Exactly. Here we are showing what side of the fence we're on, by well, the way.
1: But, but seriously, <laughs> that that's not the same in other countries, you know. Um, I, I think it'll only get so far. And you can see that they're getting nervous about that by fortifying places like Washington, D.C., by you know, I mean considering some of these other government programs, we'll t- we'll talk about the potential jubilee, maybe. Yeah, maybe let's do a talk reaction about to that because I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, the
0: debt jubilee, guys. We told you about that a few weeks ago, but ultimately, in our country, um, I believe uh, we are Julie and I are such ardent supporters and ardent just believers in our country. We love. It. Look, my family, on <laughs> my side goes all the way back to basically the ships right after the Mayflower. For those of you who are on the East Coast, my mom's a DAR, Daughter of the American Re- Revolution. I'm an SAR, son of the American Revolution. Tufts University was founded by my great, great, great uncle. So we go back, on my mom's side at least, all the way back to the founding of this country. We've had relatives that have died in, in, in every war. One of my great, great something or another served with, you know, he has an actual letter of commendation from... Uh, uh, Washington. So that gives you an indication of how deeply rooted my belief structure is in in, the, in our country and I do not think that there'll ever be a time, truthfully, I think there'll be plenty of nerfed up people who've essentially been conditioned to believe that the almighty you know, US government is going to cover their ass even no matter what mistakes they make. There are a lot of nerfed up people, that is for sure, no doubt, more than the history of our country you know, generally speaking, the stock that we all come from is not what we've all grown into. That is definitely true. But a vast majority, and by a vast majority, I mean a majority of Americans do not believe in being nerfed up. Do not believe in, control, in being controlled. Well, they you, want to be free. You can already tell
1: by people's uh, limited tolerance. I think, what have we been through? I think we're on week eight for most, anywhere from like six to eight weeks here for the whole lockdown And you can just see by people's behavior. And by the way, the thing we were talking about before where they're tracking you and they know how close you are and what what your movement is, they are already tracking all of our cell phones because they're talking about that. The movement that people have started to do, whether they are officially uh, open for business or not.
0: The ultimate, so I,
1: I just pe- think that people don't have a tolerance for it.
0: The ultimate problem, guys, is there's going to be more, because as we've been saying, there's going to be more uh, reasons why they're going to feel uh, brazened and, and, and taking away our liberties and basically saying trying to quarantine us again. And what is already happening, and you cannot put this genie back in the bottle, is that you are seeing this large swath of the population who are now very distrustful of the government and government-like entities, and those gov- that government, and the government like entities will never be able to convince people again to basically be quarantined. There's gr- massive groups of people that are saying we're never going to be quarantined. And then the people who are willing to be quarantined, they're going to basically say, well, you people who are not willing to be quarantined, somehow you're wrong or you're less than us. And the same thing goes back and forth. You as an agent have to stay, have to walk the line. You know, one of our mentors from a billion years ago is a great man named Jack Rosselli, and he always told us to be republicrats, never be one side or the other. You can have your belief structure, and you can live, you know, followed by the rules of your own personal belief structure, but don't try to impose those on other people, because realize... That, you know, your motivations and their motivations probably are not the same. And that's okay, because we're all going to get through this as a country. We're all going to push through this, and there's going to be something new. There's going to be something different. You know, Jules, have, Jules and I have been telling you guys the new normal is abnormal. And we've been telling you about the social distancing and the wearing of the masks and the having your temperature taken everywhere and all those types of things. Those are the obvious things. But the other parts of the abnormal conversation are what we're telling you about now, because you're going to start seeing this divide. There's going to be a divide, and then we're going to come back together. And there is zero chance that, unlike other countries, there'll ever be any sort of, um, you know, there'll be the government that definitely is going to overstep. But for the most part, there'll never be an opportunity for the government to truly. Uh, you know, inflict some sort of illegal, unconstitutional, long-term martial law on Americans. And now that people have sniffed out what that looks and feels like, a lot of them are not going to let that happen again. And I do think a lot of that does have to do with the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. And those are the amendments that basically protect our rights, protect the rights of uh, essentially, you know, free speech and also the right to bear arms. And those two things together, the reason that those things are originally put in the Constitution is because there is, oh, can you find that article by Ray Dalio? Mm -hmm. There are examples that go back literally thousands of years of exactly what's happening now to all of us. Exactly. And now there weren't pandemics necessarily, but there were wars and other forms of unrest and there are other forms of like, I was reading, I'm, you guys know I'm a nerd about, at strictly amateurish level, understanding the whole monetary system and all these different things. And Ray Dalio has been reading a series of great articles on LinkedIn, which you guys all should be reading, called The Changing World Order or something. I know, New World yep. Order, all you guys are going to think it's a conspiracy theory and there's a bunch of people that belong to a secret cult and eat babies that want to somehow take over the world. I get it. That's not what this is about. What he's talking about is the history of money, and it's so fascinating. It is
1: fascinating. I, you know, you were. Do you teasing, like it, now? Yeah. Well, you were teasing me the other day that I put up with. It, it's not. Uh, it's not a five-minute read. Let's just put it that way. But do you um, really like this stuff? Now? I do. I was thinking huh. about why. Why it, it do t- I like it? It, only, t- it
0: yeah. only took me how long? We've been married. 29 years? Yes. Yeah, 29 (laughs) years of marriage, convinced Julie, this stuff was interesting.
1: Well, I was always mildly interested, but I think one of the reasons that, and I've read a lot of this economic stuff, a lot more, I have to be honest, obviously in the past 60 or 90 days. One of the reasons I think that I'm doing that, other than I do find it interesting, is that we're searching for meaning to all of this, and we're Mm -hmm. searching for an understanding to our new what he calls the changing world order. And I think that, at least for me, because when you read stuff about the whole coronavirus business and the the curve and flattening the curve and how many deaths and how many cases and are we really reporting correctly, yada, yada, yada. I think we're all sick to death of all that stuff now. Um, But the problem is that the more you read about it, the less you really feel like you understand it, which gives me kind of a, a, you know, insecure feeling. But when I read about the economic stuff,
0: which she's finding the article. I feel
1: like, you know, that's kind of interesting. And maybe I can understand at least the economic side of this. If I don't understand the epidemiological side, okay, I can at least, I feel like I have some control over my knowledge base of uh, the economics. Plus it affects every single one of us. So you ought to know about it.
0: So how many of you guys, and Julie's going to find that article. It just, you okay. just need to read that little smidgen of, about the money. I got it. Right so, but, but how many of you guys have even bothered to research the different the different ways that the different countries in the world have gone about trying to essentially um, deal with the coronavirus? Because remember, guys, this is your lives. And I think what Tom Hanks said was right. Our lives are always going to be, you know, essentially they're going to be pre-virus and post-virus and not just coronavirus, but the viruses that come after. Yep. Julie and I are definitely following the story about this asshole virus it's now starting to mutate into other forms and the belief is that there's two strains of the coronavirus and again we've we're only reading what we're we're only passing on what we're reading but one is more deadly than the other and so this is what we're going to be dealing with pretty much the rest of our lives new viruses that's going to be the new thing Mm -hmm. but ultimately i listened i listened to a really great um i don't remember who it was podcast do you remember the guy's name tell me more uh, Prager, Dennis yes, Prager, Dennis Prager, he was talking about the fact that life is is full of inherent risk, and yeah. essentially what we're all going to have to accept is that this coronavirus is just a new risk vector and a new risk vector is essentially just a new spot in your world where you could potentially face harm but our lives are faced with risk vectors everywhere risk vectors being you when you walk out the front door you know when you get in your car when you get on a plane when you anything and everything is faced with risk if you decide to go on a ride in your bike if Julie and I take our electric scooters out today and blast well, around going
1: on a walk there could be murder hornets you don't we, know dude
0: we can go on a walk today and we can have a freaking Pineapple? What the hell are they? Coconut? Coconut well, fall on our head? I think
1: of when we lived in Texas. I was in the uh, emergency thing three times just for spider bites, wasp bites, bug yeah. bites. You know why? Because I took a walk.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there's risk vectors everywhere in our yeah. lives, and what we have to accept is that we cannot be so easily nerfed up. This was Trager's point. Mm-hmm. He said otherwise, you're just going to live in a corner, you know, in fear. Yeah waiting for, you know, mama, papa, government to come and save your ass and your life is going to get by and you're never going to have experienced anything. Traeger gave the example of the fact that he leads a group of people going to Israel every year. And he says he does it every other year, rather. And he said uh, the people always say to him, friends and whatnot, oh my gosh, it's so dangerous. To which his response was, life is dangerous, but I love to go there. And the people I take with me love to go there. And this is something we do, even though there are inherent risks, there's inherent risks for everything. That is an interesting way to be thinking about how you're going to choose to react uh, essentially, to this and future pandemics, and how you're going to choose to raise your family or you know share your belief structure, and maybe that's a pivot for you, because the government ultimately cannot protect us. This is what the the article Julie is about. Snippet of the article she's about to read. It is fake, an absolute lie, and not true that the government can protect us. It can't. It can. All the government is doing right now with these trillions of dollars. Which, trust me, for all of you guys, I'm massively grateful that they did. Okay. And, and do, will it be, is it in alignment with our value belief structure? Yes, because it is part of the Fifth Amendment, which is part of the takings clause where the government takes it must re, it must pay. Um, so that's in essence why Julie and I don't have a personal conflict with it. We had to research that before we felt in alignment with that. But now that we do, that's the reason we're so vocal in telling all of you guys about the, uh, the bailout programs. But the reality of it is, is that this is just going to become a new risk vector in all of our lives. That's how you have to live with it. So South Korea, for example, I don't know if you guys have researched this, but real quick, South Korea essentially did social, uh, you know, they did contact tracing. And if you were seen to be, you know, essentially uh, near somebody who had it, they locked your ass down quickly. Okay. And they also basically had temperature check uh, regimes pretty much everywhere. China, they, uh, believe it or not, they were even more... Um, what would you say? Totalitarian, right. big deal. They actually welded people in their door, in their in their apartments. I mean, you know, they have metal doors, metal door frames. They welded those things shut if you were deemed to have it. Well, okay, maybe a little crazy, definitely a little crazy. Well, then in Sweden, what they did is they said, We're gonna allow all of you guys to have herd immunity. Go out, do what you're gonna do, get it when you get it. You're gonna get over it. You know, you're gonna some of you will get sick, most of you won't. If you're of a certain age or if you have you know pre-existing conditions that would make it so that a combined issue with maybe a pulmonary problem from coronavirus mixed with whatever your other problem is might not end well for you. So why don't you do the smart thing? And you just make sure you self-quarantine yourself, and then we'll essentially help accommodate you, mostly for older people. And if you look at the breakdown of the people, not just get sick or not get infected. So the not infected thing is a red herring, not or rather the infecting thing is a red herring because a lot of people who get infected are asymptomatic. They are, their bodies are, do not react in a negative way or any way at all. But if you, you know, there's a small percent of the population who have, again, pre-existing conditions or also of a certain age, when they get it, they're probably going to die or they're at least going to have severe problems. We need to isolate those people for sure. Okay? There it is. But did we all need to be isolated? Did they really need to shut the entire economy down? You know, Julie and I said last week that this whole... Uh, essentially this ridiculous, amazing, incredible, historic, absolute destruction of global economies. It's never happened before. And yet, Julian had been researching it and find that there's been other governments that have done similarly dumb things in the past. And we're going to see what the results of them are. So going forward, here's—you know what we're going to experience is the... They're expecting... Get this, guys. They're expecting it to take at least 10 years for the employment rate to go down to the way it was uh, prior you know, shit, only sixty days yeah. ago, they're expecting it to take ten years. Why ten years? Because it took ten years from the height of the recession for it to get back to essentially where the uh, employment unemployment rate was as low as it was. So ten years from now, there might be something that feels normal in terms of uh, the employment rate. That's fascinating, isn't it? So I'm going to say this too because some of you guys are we're probably overwhelming you. But no matter what direction the market's going, no matter what's happening with interest rate, who the president is, whether we are indeed being visited by aliens, which by the way, there's more (laughs) articles coming out about that. That's hilarious. it won't matter. There will always be people that need to buy or sell real estate for the traditional reasons. You just need to learn to be the agent that they choose to hire. All right, Julie, yeah, you found a little it. snippet?
1: Well, so we again, we've been studying economic impacts and what's going on with all of the debt that's happening. So a jubilee cancellation of debt is vital to fighting the coronavirus. Well, that's an interesting combination of read things, the bi- right?
0: Read the biblical I, perspective. Uh,
1: Back to and the old, t- and we talked oh, about this. Like, sorry, I was uh- actually went to the wrong thing. No, all okay. right. I sent you three. So, to fight the spread of the novel coronavirus in the world's most impoverished countries, it's essential to free up the resources that these countries need to expand health care, provide safety net, and uh, protect the most vulnerable. And the way to do that is to embrace the redemptive promise of Jubilee. Now, some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, but for the rest of you, uh, inspired by the ancient concept of the jubilee, a time when debts were canceled, slaves freed, and land and wealth redistributed, bringing about greater fairness and equality to the economy and society. Um, let's see. For example, various faith traditions speak of debt cancellation and forgiveness. It's embedded in the Christian tradition's Lord's Prayer with its line, "Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors." The Book of Deuteronomy speaks of a charge quote to release the hand of every creditor from Can what he stop led for his second. friend.
0: All right, so I want to share with the listeners yeah. something that I didn't realize that you just told me. I just learned. The way I learned the learned Lord's Prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, the will be done, earth on and in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. They changed that because the prayer that, or that Zoe learned does not say that. And the prayer that, by the way, you learned does not say that. Julie didn't go to church as a kid. She only went to yeah, church when I, she got I older. I
1: remember exactly what they replaced it with, though.
0: It, but it's, but not I believe about,
1: it's supposed to be debtors.
0: It's not. Well, right. that's the way I was taught, but they changed trespasses versus those who Trustpass. trespass against us, right? That's right. They changed it. Yeah. Why did they change it?
1: I don't know. That would be a good history to find out. We're
0: going to find that out. That, is just, well. that is just the kind of thing we like to nerd out exactly. on. Exactly.
1: Follow that breadcrumb.
0: Dum-dum-dum.
1: <laughs> or as Zoe would say, dum-dum-dum. That's <laughs>
0: the latest it thing. It is interesting, though. <laughs> yes.
1: But the book of Deuteronomy speaks of a charge to release the hand of every creditor from what he lent his friend. Now, religious and secular groups have amplified the message, recognizing the need to respond to a mid-March message from a Pakistani minister suggesting to counter the pandemic, quote, the world community has to think of some sort of a debt write-off for countries like us, which are very vulnerable. So it goes on to talk about that more. But I think the point is that this is not without history. And it actually goes back a lot further than that. But that's that's probably the most um, relevant part of it. And uh, let's see, the International Monetary Fund and World Bank have already called for an immediate suspension of debt payments to other governments, um, but for the hardest-hit developing nations. So they're already taking some steps on this, and this is something that we'll watch and report on and see how much uh, it gets legs.
0: Well, so read Ray Dalio's. Uh, Ray's is yeah. very wordy, shall um, we say. But. I
1: also I also related to that. I don't think it was in that exact article, and I'll read Ray Dalio next. Um, I read something about the potential jubilee as a way to combat potential civil unrest because economically and societally, and certainly historically, when people don't have jobs, can't pay their bills and everything else going on, that is recipe for social unrest. So the jubilee is also being looked at as a remedy to that. Okay. Changing world order, Ray Dalio, D-A-L-I-O, if some of you guys want to look that up or listen to some of his talks, Um, All currencies have been devalued or died. Think about holding currencies, which is the same as holding cash, in the same way as you would think about holding any other assets. How would you have done with these investments? Of the roughly 750 currencies that have existed since 1700, only about 20% remain, and of those that remain, all have been devalued. In 1850, the world's major currencies wouldn't look anything like the ones today. While the dollar, pound, and Swiss franc did exist back then, Most others were different and have since died. In 1850, in what's now Germany, you would have had to use the golden or the thaler. There was no yen, so in Japan you might have used the Koban or the Rio instead. In Italy, you would have used one or more of the six possible currencies. You would have used different currencies in Spain, China, and most other countries. Some were completely wiped out. In most cases, they were in countries that had hyperinflation and or lost wars and or had large war debts and replaced by entirely new currencies. Some were merged into currencies that replaced them, like the individual European currencies that were merged into the Euro, and some remain in existence, but were devalued like the British pound and the US dollar. So how does this affect all of you guys? Well, this is another thing for you to follow the breadcrumbs. What's going on with the potential devaluation of the dollar? Now, you might think that when prices are going up, and probably they will be on things like houses, for example, that that's just pure appreciation. But in fact, it's simply taking more dollars because they've been devalued to buy everything that you want to buy.
0: That's Holy simple Julie, you said that perfectly. You really are. I've been shortening it. You've been really nerding out on this stuff. It's I impressive. I think it's interesting. So why are we telling you all this stuff, guys? It's because you have to understand at least the surface level, that you have to be hit amateur level like Julie and I are, because what's going to happen next in our economy with regards to how these things resolve is going to be completely different than anything we've ever experienced in our lifetimes before. So the reality of it is that for you to understand the cycle of things and here's how it's going to play out. Pretty much everyone, no matter you know what type of economist they were, they're you know believing themselves or purporting themselves to be, or what political leaning, they're all pretty much expecting that we're going to go through what's going to feel like a boom market, uh, and it's going to be from pretty much for everything and for a variety of reasons. Uh, people that don't understand um, essentially the very basics of the economy are all basically saying it's because you know people want to buy houses and demographics. They're only just saying the obvious talking points from, say, the National Association of Realtors or Zillow. But what they're not really understanding is because all the trillions of dollars that have been pumped into the economy have to go somewhere. And so where's that money going to go? It's going to go. It's going to flow. People are going to spend it on the things they have been spending it on at first. And so you're going to see... I mean, some of you will make the mistake of calling it inflation. Or I'm sorry, appreciation. You're going to see real estate values or the cost of real estate go through the roof. You're going to see the cost of a lot of other things go through the roof as more essentially people have money to buy those things. People are going to uh, essentially price up things that they perceive, and this is kind of as we move forward, things that they perceive to be a store of value. People that are amateur level uh, economists, like what we're fighting to become, Mm -hmm. will soon realize well, my dollars in the bank aren't necessarily going to have the same buying power that they do this year as they did last year. Like, there's a very, you know, it's fascinating. I'm going to take a little side road and make sure I don't go too far off path here. Mm -hmm. You know, why is it ultimately that it used to be in America in the 50s and in the 60s, really, you didn't have to have two working age adults? Why? I mean, you didn't have to have two working adults. Mom and dad didn't have to go to, uh, To work, and so I was raised in. Now, what I realized were our left-leaning school system was it's because of women's rights and women wanted to get out of the house and they didn't want to take care of their families and they wanted to. And I'm sure some of that was true. Some of that I'm sure was true. I mean, Zoe is not the greatest person to spend all the time with all the time every day. I I could definitely see someone wanting to go to work, or you know, in many cases, you know, there were some unbelievably amazing women. In men, but really in general, that we are so, as a society, so much you know, in gratitude towards for having essentially for them having the ambition um, and the education and the intellectual horsepower to contribute to society. We wouldn't be where we are without you know. So, don't think I am sort of like saying women do this and men do that. But here is the thing that I thought was fascinating. So, why did both men and women, or why did you decide that in this you know sixties and into the seventies they both had to work? It wasn't for the reasons that the social programmers would have us believe. It was because of inflation. Is because of crap started to get more expensive. I remember I asked Julie's grandfather. They're both in heaven, but I asked them what. Uh, I, I asked them why is it. Uh, that uh, essentially men and women, you know, because he has had very traditional values, and he said his answer was pretty funny too. I mean, and I said, "Why are they both working? Why are so many, you know, couples not you know, daycare the whole thing?" And he he thought thought about it for a second. His name was Alan, and he goes, "Well, I guess just there's more fun stuff to buy." No, <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was hilarious. What yeah more than one. i thought that was hilarious and that's probably true too yeah. but the real reason was is because things got more expensive right the thing that brought all uh essentially you needed to both work in order to pay your bills in most in most you know parts of america and then here's the other thing that nobody talks about especially in schools is that taxes started to increase so you had a double whammy of your actual cost Essentially, from taxes, your actual cost from uh, inflation caused by us going off the the gold standard, and pre- especially when President Nixon uh, took over and he basically made U.S. currency, the dollar, into a fiat currency, which in essence means it's just uh, backed by the whole faith and confidence of the U.S. government, right? Uh, that is something then with the government then controls how much money there is in the economy. The government then can have price controls. The government now is talking about, guys, now, supposedly, the government, the Fed, is going to start buying stocks. They're going to start going in. Now, here's, here's the problem. Again, I know I'm, I'm on a third little side road here, and Julie's going to reel me back in. But here's the thing. It's fascinating. If you want to go to the stock market and you want to buy shares in a particular company, your understanding is, is it's a bid ask structure, right? You're buying, uh, based on the last person that bought that particular share. And so you're, pay- you're paying what you perceive to be market value. You can't really get ripped off in that scenario. It's like an auction. Like if you're trying to buy a, you know, a painting or a, doesn't matter, at an auction, a house at an auction, you know what the other people are bidding. And for you to win, you know what you have to pay. Well, what if the other people bidding are fake? So, I'll tell you guys something that's interesting about that. In California, it's legal to have what's called chandelier bidders. So, Julie and I are, you know, we don't have it anymore, but we used to have a little small classic car collection, um, mostly European cars. And we sold them all before we moved to Puerto Rico. But here's the thing is when you go to an auction in California, the auctioneer could actually uh, call out bids that were fake. And that's what they call chandelier bidding. And that's legal, isn't that insane? So when you guys watch those Mecham auctions, if any of you guys are card nerds like us and you watch those on TV, and the auctioneer is up there acting like he's getting a lot of bids and all of a sudden no one's buying it anymore, they were all fake and they were bidding them up to a, a number that they thought the seller would take. That's called chandelier bidding. That same thing is happening in the economy right now. So what's happening is the government essentially is able to go into the stock market, go into other sort of asset classes, and they're buying to keep prices up. They're inflating the value of things because they're buying bonds, they're going to start bailing out municipalities, start you know, there's a big there's going to be a bailout for states. There's going to be bailouts for everybody, which is going to create a sense of value that doesn't exist. That's what creates the bubbles. So if you want to know what people are talking about when they're all like talking about you know the fed and bubbles and real estate as it pertains to all of us i just described it to you but the way the fed bids up real estate the way the fed artificially inflates real estate values is by making the money easily available and lowering the lending standards. And all that is going to start happening. We went through the tightening phase and now it looks like we're going to go into the loosening phase. And I think what we're predicting as far as this debt jubilee, you guys watch. That's going to start catching a lot of momentum in politics because it just makes sense. Because there's only two ways you can basically get rid of debts. You can either inflate your currency and pay it off, essentially, or you can basically say, guess what? Nobody has any debts anymore. You know how that works? Because there's no just uniform Forgiveness of debt, because the debtor doesn't have their debt anymore, but the person they owed the money to that person hurts well, maybe then if we forgive their debts too, and see guys, this is what happens, and then boom, we have a new currency, so who knows what's going to happen next? You had something I think oh well,
1: I, I you know that I reminded myself it wasn't just that one article I was just reading we I listened to an interview on marketplace with um where they were talking about this. David Berncaccio, who I think is like one of my favorite NPR reporters, he ended up over there somehow. He's he's nice to listen to. I enjoy his interviews. Um, he said, now you look at this in, as an economist and not as a biblical scholar, but what in the Old Testament are the references to everybody getting released from their debt every 50 years? And then the guy he was interviewing, the economist said, well, the Jubilee year of Leviticus 25 was based on a Babylonian practice for over 2,000 years. And he goes on to explain all of that to, you would liberate the, quote, bond servants, people who had been obliged to work off their debts and labor, and you'd return any land that had been forfeited. Um, These, so basically there's tons and tons of history I could go on, but... Um, and then he was asked, do you think that this is something that's realistic that we might need this net in a, you know, current times? And he, he responded, a debt cancellation is needed when debts go beyond the ability to be paid and all personal debts, all non-business debts tend to mount up beyond what they can, what can actually be paid. And he talks about restaurants, automobile loans. Um, what's your... Alternative. Okay, so if the debts are growing so large, the only way of paying them is to foreclose on the property and let them be homeless or kick them out on the streets. The reason the Babylonians and early Jews canceled the debts was not because they were idealists. They weren't even egalitarians. All the debts had to be, have to be canceled by the government. The government cancels it because it doesn't want to make the economy fall into austerity. It doesn't want people to lose their livelihood and become unproductive members of society. The reason to cancel debts is to preserve stability. So that's some of the current uh conversations that are going on, and they use the example of you you know you can't simply say the landlords are not going to collect rent for three months, like in New York, for example, suppose you're a restaurant, and you say, "Okay, we don't have to pay the rent these three months, but we're also not getting any business and then when the business starts again, they're not going to have any money to pay those rents, which are rental debts to the landlords, the most expensive expense in business so it's interesting to look at that from an economic standpoint, and I think the most, what I learned, I, I guess, I'm sure we learned this at some point, but maybe I forgot um, that Germany had something that's known to economists as the economic miracle. Germany canceled all debts except the debts that employers owned their, owed their employees. This is after World War II. Everybody kept a minimum balance. It was easy for the Allies to cancel German debts in 1948. Because most debts were owed to old Nazis or the people who had been Nazis or to banks that were part of the Nazi regime. So the Allies didn't want to let those creditors who were old Nazis have power over the coming German democracy. They canceled the debts. Germany as a result and and its industry and families were debt free. That's what enabled it to recover. And that was the essence of the German economic miracle, the debt cancellation. He goes on to say, right now, America's economy is strapped. America could have another em- economic miracle by writing down the debts. So all of this seems pretty logical, but it'll be interesting to see how all of that
0: goes. Well, politically, you can see how this is going to be a thing. There's it no way. There's no way. You guys watch. Donald Trump is known to listen to our podcast, he's one of our greatest fans. No, I'm making that up. But you watch. He's going to send out a tweet. And he's going to say, <laughs> yeah. Tim and Julie Harris. No, what's my. I don't have a Trump accent. No. Or Trump you got to work on that. Yeah, I'm terrible. At, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, he's going to say, Debt Jubilee. You watch that. Because if you think about a way, polit- political, or the Democrats are going to say, it doesn't matter. Someone's going to propose it why are Julie and I studying all this stuff why is it that we're spending our life energy learning about all this sort of arcane bizarre history because history repeats itself because it's going to come back in a new form because of the fact that we have to better we have to protect ourselves and we have to protect all of you and we are 100% without a doubt convinced that no one else is going to tell you all this stuff And the sources of information that most of us have relied upon are unreliable. And so we're going to do everything in our power and get way the heck ahead of our skis, even on Sundays, and talk to you guys about the things that Julie and I talk about in preparation for the market that's going to come in the world that we're going to be entering into and how we can make sure that we're providing you guys the coaching and the training and, frankly, the You know community support really at the end of the day to feel confident that no matter what comes our way hey guess what there's a historical precedent for it and all of us are going to get through it together so we're going to continue to expose to you guys some of our fragmented thinking in many cases about what's coming next and then we're going to let you guys know where what we're reading and you can follow the breadcrumbs yourselves all of you should focus on unfortunately becoming somewhat you know amateur economists you need to know about this stuff so you can protect yourselves if it, it's going to become politicized, there's going to be people to, that are trying to attach their belief and value structures to the different things we're talking about. You know, all of it is Mickey Mouse at the end of the day. you got to focus on protecting yourself first. And that, in order for that to happen is you have to reinvest in your own education. Julie, any other things you want
1: to? Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems that there is a need to be learning more, more quickly as a result of change. So I'm, have been working on looking at that as a positive impact because you know let's be honest the real estate market was looking a little bit like groundhog day even though it was a good groundhog day for a lot of years you know when it was fast and furious hot sellers market choose your offer yada yada you know that was good but this is more interesting that's how i got to look at it and so the only question you have to ask yourself is at what level do you plan on participating in what might become known as the new world order, at least it is a different world order for all of us, you've got to be the leader. And I, I do see a change, in, especially in our coaching clients, because we're more intimate with them. We know what you know, what's going on in their businesses and their lives. I do see a shift to let's get on with this. Let's get to figuring out what the profit's going to be, um, you know what type of people I have to help, what kind of scripts I've got to learn how I have to be better and more nurturing on the one hand, but more direct and more um, you know, honest with things like pricing. And you know, do you really think your house is going to be worth more six months from now? Those conversations you've got to embrace and decide that you're going to be the leader. People will appreciate you. We know this because of the emails we get from you guys because we laid all this heavy stuff on you 60 days ago and said, you know what? You got to take part in some of this economic relief for yourself. That way, you'll have the opportunity to help others.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I just wrote something down. We yeah. actually had someone uh, email us that said, You and I are the prophets of profit.
1: Oh, I like that. I do too. I'll take that.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, but uh, I, I don't know. That seems like <laughs> a big. That's
1: a little lofty. That's a little we can lofty, work yeah. It. I don't think we're going
0: to. Yeah, that's going to be. As a our...
1: writer, I like the alliteration of it, though. Yeah, yeah that's good. We're going to work
0: towards that. I don't think we're quite uh, no. earning of that it yet. We may not be worthy yet. No, <laughs> but we'll work on it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we'll be the clearinghouse of ideas. How about that? So look, guys, um, we love doing this Sunday show. If this is the first show you've listened to, for Julie and I, understand that our shows are much more buttoned down, normally focused on specific topics. But in this time, in this era, in this you know wonderful, scary, alarmingly, shockingly beautiful, you know time in history that we're all living through together. It's okay to wander way outside of your comfort zone and really open your mind to the future that could be yours. The worst thing you can do, all of you please listen, please absolutely listen, is b- attaching yourself to you know really fatal thinking about hoping that things go back to whatever normal is. Normal is done. Normal is done. You guys are going to see over the next 60 to 90 days some of the draconian oversteps by government. You're going to see... You're going to see probably more civil unrest because when there's this much unemployment, that is always what happens next. When there's this many people without jobs, people get pissed. And you're going to see maybe the government, I'm going to guess, Julie and I predicted this, the government's going to step in and they're going to say, and this, by the way, is the role of the government because one of their fundamental root, you know, reasons to exist is essentially to protect You know the the country, the provide infrastructure, freeways, those types of things. We're predicting that there's going to be some sort of big national program. You know, similar to the ones that they did in the Depression for people to essentially get jobs in National All Employment Act, where people are going to basically be going out and doing the real work of rebuilding a lot of the bridges and the infrastructure of the country that they did, you know, back in the 20s and the 30s. That makes sense. That's probably what's going to happen next. Now, I just say that with a glint in my eye, because I could just imagine all these nerfed up people being told that they have to go get jobs where they're going to be Mm -hmm. doing real physical labor. that will be interesting to see how that happens. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, can you imagine all these people on unemployment right now? Well, no, I'm not doing
1: that. It's three to four thousand.
0: Now you're, su- supposed to you you're supposed to told you're go get a shovel and dig a ditch to help build a bridge. That will be an interesting transition if that happens. But so there you go. There you guys go. Have these conversations. Don't allow yourselves to be turned to hate and distrust. Don't allow yourself to feel like you are somehow, that we're somehow not in a unified country. We are in a unified country. Ask yourself, and I want you to really drill down on this and be introspective, because the answer is fascinating. Ask yourself, first of all, why it is that so many uh, political parties or social parties, whatever it is, why do they want us to be fractionalized? And this is on both sides. Why is it that the Democrats want to be against the conservatives? And why has it become so much... You guys can taste the, 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 uh, the hatred in some cases. Um, it's, not, it's not fake. You know, those people actually really truly feel those emotions, both sides, it goes both sides. Mm -hmm. So why is it that some people want to essentially tribe up? Okay, there's the first question. And just listen to your answer. Listen to your brain tell you the answer. And here's the next question, and this is really the powerful one. If this is the case with you, why is it that you want to be allowed to be tribe up? Why? Because ultimately all of us in in our circadian lizard brains, our root brains, right? All want to believe that we are stronger when we're part of a group or part of a tribe. Is that really true? Is that always true? Or is that you just basically relying on this sort of uh, fear-based thinking that in order for you to be protected from the, you know, the horde of zombies, you, it, more people together is better than fewer people together. That is true, but is that what we're experiencing now? No. And so you have to fight your tendency to want to, you know, to want to have what you feel to be security by tribing up. Because when you tribe up, when you accept uh, you know, allies, you also accept your allies' enemies. And now all of a sudden, you're basically adopting a different group of beliefs that you would have normally had and a different you know, structure of your life that you would have normally had. And guess what? You're no longer living your life. You're now living a life uh, essentially that's predicated by whatever the belief structure is of the group you just, you chose to align yourself with. Is that really what you want? You don't have to be like that, especially nowadays with technology, frankly. I mean, Julie and I are broadcasting live, you know, right now from Dorado, Puerto Rico, right? So we're all part of the same tribe with you guys. A lot of you guys have been part of our lives and we'll be part of yours for, you know, years in various forms. Tens of thousands of you, millions of you listen to us on this podcast. We're all part of the same tribe. There's more things that we're all in alignment with, our group you guys being part of it then we're not in alignment with right now i'm not saying i mean julie is very offensive in a lot of the things that she says
1: yeah, i try to be <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there's gonna be something some thing, working on there's gonna be some things that we're not in perfect alignment with so what but overall we believe in the same things don't we okay so you guys do not need to align yourselves with people that are trying to minimize you and make you feel weak align yourself with people that make you feel strong align yourself that, with people that have a core belief in our country that I have a core belief in freedom. Have a core belief in the Constitution. Align yourself with people who have a core belief that your future can be a thousand times better than your past. There does not have to be a dystopian future okay. for you. There does not have to be the days ahead do not have to be black and white. They can be, you know, vibrant color. You guys remember in Wizard of Oz when it went from black and white to color? We're in the black and white period now unfortunately. But your future can be bright, vibrant, incredible, amazing color if you are part of the conversation with the right people. And we're part of the right people. We believe so, right? We would think that. But we're not alone. There's a lot of other people, maybe you, right? Maybe you listener. You're somebody who's going to attach themselves to what's forward thinking. You're going to attach yourself to a, a specific value structure that you feel would be, you know, essentially a mirror of how you want the new world to be. Don't fall into hate, don't fall into mistrust. Don't go down too many rabbit hole rabbit holes with reg- regards to the different conspiracy theories. though I will admit a lot of them are fun. <laughs> they are but avoid it because it's also mental masturbation and you basically will you know toil away hours and days and years and it'll take up valuable strength. So I'm going to end this with one little so Elon Musk has been in the news. yeah I do love that guy. I'm not gonna lie. And one of the things that he was in the news about that pertains to real estate is he has, obviously, the guy's worth a ridiculous amount of money. And he has a lot of real estate. And he has came out and said, I'm selling all of my houses. Now, here's what he did, which was hilarious. Are you going to do loves and hates?
1: Uh, no, I'm writing something. All
0: right, this is my loves, okay? Yeah, okay. So Elon Musk. Elon Musk, a billionaire. would Probably one of the most famous people on planet Earth. Uh, he's going to get us to Mars, for God's sake. So he comes out. Oh, he, exactly. he, he decides to get this listener's. For sale by owner. His mansions. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he puts his houses what? for sale on Zillow. He writes his own damn ads. Looks like he takes his own pictures. The guy's a billionaire, and he decides he wants to Fizbo his uh, house. For those
1: of you who don't think there's any high end fisbos, <laughs>
0: that's right. So his houses are for sale right now on Zillow, which is hilarious, and I think that's great. But that's not the th- no. I'm not a, pr- a proponent of Zillow nor Fizzboing. That's not the great yeah. part. The great part is why he was doing it. He said he's selling off all of his a- his personal assets because he doesn't want the burden of having to have those in a- on his mind. He realizes that he has you know limited bandwidth, and he wants to spend his bandwidth on things that are going to uh, you know better hum- humanity. And like he was talking about, uh, this is on a Joe Rogan interview. He was talking about uh, having wanted to build a massive house that was like the um, who is that uh, Marvel character that he was supposedly.
1: Um- Iron Man. Tony
0: Stark. Iron Man, Man, yeah. Yeah. So supposedly he was going to build some ridiculous house with a helicopter that you could land inside that.
1: Which you can imagine would have been pretty kick-ass if he designed that.
0: Oh, yeah. But he said he decided not to do it. Because he knows that he would have basically had some of his mental power being used to designing a house, where he could have designed, where he could have put that same energy towards designing uh, the rockets that take humanity to Mars. Whether you believe in that vision or not, I'm you know. So not...
1: it is an interesting way to consider your time. Right. That your was the time point. allocation was the theme.
0: And here's a guy that has what? How many different businesses? How many different amazing things? It was un- It's unbelievable when you hear somebody that's operating clearly at like a far just probably. 170, 180 IQ. Yeah, I mean he's off the charts smart in the way he thinks and the way he has puts his thoughts together. And he said that, and I thought that was fascinating. And all of us can learn yeah. from that.
1: You know what else he said that I I uh, remembered was having multiple houses. All of them, I'm sure, very cool. He said, you know, I realized that I didn't actually spend that much time in them and that, you know, those houses are probably better off in somebody else's hands who will appreciate them at a different level than what I'm doing. Yeah. I thought that was pretty introspective. Well, we've
0: been through that. We had multiple houses before. And not to mention
1: the maintenance. I mean, it's one thing to take care of one house, but keep on adding on. So it was an interesting interview.
0: But this is like a full circle to today's Mm -hmm. show, right? Because, I mean, you and I have lived through that. We had multiple houses. Yeah. We had cars at every house. We had, you know, we We used to do it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We had a little... Ranch in Texas, so we had a bunch of crap, and it really does take away from your ability to focus on what's most important. And one of the biggest reasons that we decided to move to Dorado, aside from you know business reasons and Julie's health, was frankly because we got sick of having to basically mine the store at so many different storefronts with regards to you know taking care of properties and whatnot, so we liquidated too. And I thought it was really – and we did it for the same reasons because, you know, you wake up in the morning and it's like you want to put so much time towards your family and so much time towards your business. There's so much time toward new business opportunities or, you know, writing a book or whatever. But you can't because you got to be on the phone screwing around with some other project or some basement's leaking someplace. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all sort of interesting, fascinating things I think will – You know, all of us need to be really drilling down and say, well, why is exactly that I want what I wanted? Did I want what I want because I was told at this point in my life, this is the tchotchke I'm supposed to have to sort of show my success in life? Is You know, what are these different, what are the things that you've been fighting for and spending your life energy to, to obtain that maybe you didn't really want in the first place and you just did just because you there was some sort of checklist maybe that you thought you were supposed to be following that's the ultimate manipulation by the way and in real estate brokerages that's the every anytime you walk into a, an existing structure guys just listen to your coach or your future coach telling you this and you have people telling you the first thing you're supposed to do is this that and I'm not it's not for your own betterment they're telling and they don't say it's for the sake of you making a profit by the way You're supposed to win this award, this plaque, this award, this plaque. And once you've accomplished this level of sales, then you're supposed to be forming a team. Oh, don't forget to build your brand. Don't forget to all this. But the thing that none of it is ever predicated on is your increased profit margins. They're always designed in those... You know, paradigms, they're there to support in that particular system the broker or the entity that basically ultimately benefits from you essentially toiling away your life energy in pursuit of goals that they said you should have. So if you actually started every conversation and every thought with will this make me more profit or less profit, there are virtually none of the dumbass things that would be even relevant in real estate anymore because they all have been pushed upon you guys in support of somebody else's uh, payoff, not yours. And that's what's really, truly fascinating is I think that this is the ultimate destruction of a lot of really dumb ideas and that what comes on the other side of it is a return to sanity in a lot of people's lives. You know, return to sanity, return to, you know, essentially reconnecting with what makes life such a wonderful gift. And I hope you guys are feeling that too. And if not, well, maybe align yourself with people who are feeling that way because I, I can pretty much guarantee you it's going to give you a lot less stress in life. Yeah. So I want to end today's show with saying one thing, Julie. Yes. Happy Mother's Day.
1: Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that.
0: Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so there it is, listeners. Hey, share our podcast with other people. It's the reason it's the number one daily listen to uh, podcast for real estate agents in the nation. It's because you guys share it with other people. So please continue to do that. If you want to talk with me about moving over to eXp, uh, brokers especially, but individual agents as well, please reach out to me directly. Uh, it's 512-758-0206. Oh, and I'm going to do a really, really, really uh, announcement that's way too soon. You ready? Okay. Okay. All right, you guys have been pressing Julie and I for years and asking us why we don't essentially start some sort of um, national real estate team. Well, we sort of did through eXp, but we are actually working on an idea because we get a ton of uh, referrals that we pass through our... Coaching business, and most we we just we don't take any we're we don't middleman, and we just like someone will say, "Hey Tim and Julie, do you know somebody in LA in this particular area?" And we'll connect you basically agent to agent. What what we're thinking about doing, and I've got to decide whether I want to use my bandwidth, (laughs) and frankly, and Julie's, and all of our coaching staff to do this Mm -hmm. too, is we're thinking about forming or restarting our real estate practice and just basically focusing on referrals. And that's what we're working on. So the idea would be basically you guys could all be part of Tim and Julie's real estate team in essence. And then the benefit to you for that would be that you would then um, obviously, you know, we do this through eXp. So their existing structure, but the direct benefit from aligning with us Is that you then would be able to get referrals that would normally just be traveling back and forth to whoever was top on our list, or you know, just we'd sometimes just throw them on our private Facebook members page and whoever grabbed it first. But the idea that we're formulating is essentially is that we uh, put together our national real estate group. I don't want to use the word team, but it's going to be a group. And in such, we're going to have um, a, a lot of benefits, and the referral ideas being the first one that comes to mind obviously advanced training and more cohesive group and we would need so many in each major market to start with. So we'd start with the big major markets and maybe have five agents in each market. That's what we're thinking about doing. It's a big idea and like I said we have to decide whether we want to take it on because organizationally there would be a lot of back end that would be necessary to make it happen but I'm pretty sure we're going to do it. If that interests you Just if you're still listening after over an hour, it probably will. (laughs) 512-758-0206. Hey, if you guys need us for anything, always reach out. God bless all of you. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there and all the grandmothers and all the great grandmothers. And if you're lucky enough to have great, great grandmothers that are still alive to them as well. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you on the show tomorrow.